I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... So Mindshare at its core is a what I, we call a one-year mini-MBA, one-year training program. Primarily, first time, CEOs or founders, you must be the CEO or co-founder, right? You, you must have that title because we want, we want that group. We put them together in a cohort, and we put them through nine classes... Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, joined here by producer Tracy Madigan. We're excited to have with us today Steve Balistrieri. Steve is the managing director of Morgan Franklin Consulting right here in Washington, D.C. But for those of you who pay attention to the accounting, financing, venture, private equity arena, in zip code starting in two, like our zip code. Steve's a made man. Uh, Forgive the misogyny, but a made person. How about that? And he has touched so many deals and so many companies and so many growth arenas that it's important to have him on the air to talk about what's next. And not just what's next in the environment of financing that SVB is affected, but also what's next for the community of investment in Washington, D.C. And here's the kicker. He was one of the, really the founder of growers of Mindshare, which if you've not heard about it, you're going to hear Steve discuss it today. It's one of the most important gatherings of innovation and CEOs who are helping each other that I've ever seen in this district. Here's our conversation. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Mark and Tracy. So Morgan Franklin Consulting, you had a a long and illustrious illustrious career. I can say this. Mm -hmm. Trust me. Um, at, at Deloitte as a CPA yeah. with many cli- clients that you and I have compared notes on yep. around the area that were fascinating stories of yeah. success and some less so. Yeah. Right? So your your um, your focus and your experience curve for your job as uh, managing director for technology, media, and telecom at Morgan Morgan Franklin is rich and robust. How's that for a tee-up? That's great tee-up. Yeah. Fantastic tee-up. Okay. So what's a typical client for Morgan Franklin, yeah, yeah. And, and if so, what's a typical kind of problem they're trying to solve? Yeah, look, it's, it's um, you know, first of all, for I've been at Morgan Franklin almost two years now, right? And before that, you know, an auditor for 30 years and and had a great run at uh, 10 years at Deloitte and R.G. Wilson Roms before that and, and have served a ton of great companies in, in the Washington, D.C. area. You know, it, it's great to not be an auditor anymore. And, and I like to look at my auditor friends and say, you know what? I, I don't miss. I don't miss it at all. I don't miss busy season. I don't miss any of that. And, you know, being a consultant, being able to continue to work with the same kinds of companies I have in the past is fantastic. And, and particularly in this region and in other regions I've been to, San Francisco, New York. So a typical client for Morgan Franklin, right, can fit in any one of three buckets that we really have uh, for actually four buckets now that we have great expertise in. Certainly anything in kind of the accounting advisory space, um, that would be technical accounting, that would be due diligence on M&A transactions, IPO readiness, SPAC readiness. Um, we have great experience in, in risk and regulatory, internal control, Sarbanes-Oxley. We have a strategy group, strategy and transformation group that does a lot of work around in, integration of, of mergers and carve-outs, uh, you know, building operating models. And then we have a full-service technology practice that integrates NetSuite, that integrates the Microsoft platform, SAP, Oracle. So, look, where I think about a client, clients and when we want to bring them in, it's kind of in those pivotal moments, those moments that matter, right. right? You've just raised your first round of capital. Maybe you have your first audit. Your board expects you to professionalize your financials, your financial model. You need some accounting help, right? Yeah. Or maybe you're still running QuickBooks. And you know what? You've outgrown QuickBooks yeah. because you can't you can do anything with it, and you want to move to NetSuite or Intact or something like that. We can help at that pivotal moment. You just brought in your first CFO, 
right? Your first CFO or you've, your founders transitioned out. You've got a new CEO. They want to they scale up the company. There's operational challenges that have to be dealt with, and we can, bring, we can come in at that moment. Uh, you know, maybe you're looking to buy. You're, you're doing your first acquisition, right? And, and we can come in and help you with the diligence and the integration. Or maybe, look, maybe you're going public or yeah. you know, SPACs come at you. You need readiness support, right? You need to help with the S1. You need to get through that process. Uh, that's another moment that comes in. For those, you know, we, we, we love clients kind of at all stages because it's really about the moment that they bring us in. What's that particular challenge? And if we can really, if we've got a service that solves that need, that's special for us. And that's, that's the moment. Do you ever find yourself advising companies about who to buy or who to be bought by? Is that yeah, part of the conversation, or is that really a way? Yeah, it's, it's, we're, not a, we're not an investment bank like that, and, yeah. and, and, but we do have our fingers on the market, right? right. And so we do know companies that are, uh, you know, where there, there could be compliments that, that they could come in. You know, a lot of that actually is where I spend time kind of outside the, the day job, right? When I'm talking to entrepreneurs about what they're thinking about with their business or founders, and they're like, you know, this is our, these are the three competitors and, and how we compete. And we talk a lot of strategy around that. And sure. actually, that's a big conversation that we have in Mindshare as well. Well, TMT, I guess a lot of investment banks have TMT divisions as well. Mm-hmm. Technology, media, and telecommunications. Gee, yep. three areas that last time I checked had a lot of change coming down the pipe. Yep. But let me step back for a second. Um, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but are SPACs over and dead for a while and maybe they'll come back in two decades? Or yeah, what, yeah. What's been your experience in the recent sort of spate of SPACs that have, <sighs> yeah, look, I, I won't say failed, but they've been really challenged? No, no, well, I mean, look, they have. There's, uh, I'll comment on a couple of things. Right? SPACs have been around for a long. You, you, we were talking about Mark Ein earlier, right? Yeah. Mark Ein's done great work with he SPACs has. over the course of his career, right? And SPACs always served a purpose, right? They were a, uh, a different vehicle to get you the, the same result, right? Yeah. Um, look, I, I think you had a confluence of events in, in 2021, right? Low interest. No one was making any money on their money, right? Interest rates were nothing. and Literally nothing. Literally nothing, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, and when that happened, like companies, you know, the companies, investors were looking for ways to actually earn something. And so, you know, the, the traditional IPOs became more expensive. Companies were looking at direct listings. SPACs, SPACs popped up, right? Yeah. And, and it was easy to go out and raise a SPAC, right? Your blank check company. It was an easy process to do. And there were a ton of companies out there that were still looking for their exits, right? Look, I, the big thing that we saw, that I saw with the companies, many of the companies that went through that DSPAC process, they weren't ready to be public companies. And I'm not talking about the infrastructure you need to be a public company, right? The back office, the reporting. Look, the, the most important thing I talk to folks about that want to go public is, can you predict with some certainty the next four quarters of revenue growth. If not, stay, stay quiet. Stay, stay yeah. quiet. And yeah. s- exactly. And and look, it wasn't four quarters. I like eight quarters. With right. these some of these companies, they couldn't predict next month, right? And that kind of infrastructure does not sit well on the street. Right? And and if you can't so do we've that, learned. Yeah. So we've learned. Right. I mean, what you're seeing now is is that well, a couple things, right? The regulators did not like the number of SPACs that were going out, the issues well, they saw. Well, that's though. That was my, was, there was a spate of whatever, 300 or something came oh down. Yeah. And, and I would argue, and look, you're, you're living this, but I would argue that once there was sort of a whiff of, hey, is this, is this kind of a, I wouldn't say scam, but is, is this sort of a yeah. shortcut to a, a relatively crappy future that they don't deserve, that, that, the, that the number of them almost piled on the impression of badness. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Look, I mean, the regulators looked at it. They were like 700 at the beginning of this year. What? Seven. 
these are the beginning of this year, fourth quarter last year, that had not found a partner yet. Holy moly. And most of them, most of them, I would say 60% we're going to have to give the money back. And you're seeing that every day in the news. Yep. Some of these SPACs are giving money. They're returning the money. Yeah. Right? If you look at the companies that did D-SPACs, many of them, mo- the majority are trading below what they went out well at. Well below. T- well yeah. below. Right? And yeah. and for that reason, right, I, look, this is – I think it's opportunity actually because if, you've, if you're a well-capitalized company – and you've got a competitor that went through SPAC, or if you're a private equity fund that has you know, a company that's looking for acquisitions, these public companies are going to be – these public companies that aren't, shouldn't have been public to begin with, yeah. they're going to be your fodder for M&A activity going forward. Interesting. I, I mean, look, we're already I, – I, I agree. Yeah. But I mean uh, – well, I just I'm, – I'm, sadly, I'm very familiar with two SPACs. I was on the board of one, and I was an investor in another, or I sold a company to another – and they're well below the ten bucks, right? Oh, yeah. Way, 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 way below the ten bucks. But I wonder, you're saying that private companies would buy out the public companies or take them private? Well, so that, yeah. yeah, if their market cap is next way to below. nothing, yeah, next to nothing, and if they're in danger of being delisted anyway because their stock price is exactly. below the, I mean, look, this is opportunity for private capital to come in. Look, even some of the best companies that spacked, like a company, there's a company in in, uh, and I believe this was a spac in Florida called No Before, a great cybersecurity company. They've already been sold to private equity. Companies like the good ones, like Vista, Tomo yeah. Bravo, they're going in and buying already, right? And, and Everything's so, on sale. Everything's on sale. It's yeah. Steve Balistrieri. Steve is our guest today on What's Working in Washington. Steve is a managing director at Morgan Franklin Consulting, a fascinating conversation about what's happening in the marketplace, specifically his focus on technology, media, and telecommunications. So SVB goes up. Yeah. Or down, whatever the, you yep. know, I was going to say the traditional yep. e- economic phrase, yep. but it's not for uh, the audience we have here. But SVB goes down, I guess First Republic has some challenges, a bunch of others. What are your client, wh- what has been some of the impact mm. on your clients or have you guys been able to help them ameliorate yeah. the direct impact? Yeah, yeah. So um, look, in the first four days, right, from Thursday to Sunday, yeah. before the Fed made announcement that it was going to back Five off. alarm fire. Yes, yeah. it was a complete five alarm fire. How do I get bank accounts set up? How do I diversify my cash? How do I even get payroll paid, right? Yeah. And, um, and that, was, that was truly a train wreck. After Monday, after that Sunday, right, when, when the Fed said, we're going we're gonna to guarantee deposits, yep. right? So not to worry and you'll have access to cash, right? That, that, that conversation, it turned, right? And it turned... It, we can talk about how it turned in several different ways. From an operating standpoint, right, it, it, it turned at a board level to really looking at their companies and challenging them about, look, how good is your forecast? How good is your financial model? Can you predict, like, where you need uses, what your sources and uses of cash are for the next 12 to 18 months? And then let's build a structure, right, that is is a cash management process that doesn't put all our eggs in one basket, right? And look, they were a lot of them were forced to. If you had debt from Silicon Valley Bank – by contract, you were required to keep all your cash at Silicon Valley right. Bank. And that was not unusual to SVB. Signature did the same thing. Yep. Uh, PacWest did the same thing. They all did. Yeah. Right? And so- That I didn't know. So they all they all had that kind of, same kind of deal? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and they wanted lockboxes so that your customer's cash came into an account yeah. that they had access to. Okay. Right? To repay their debt. Yep. Right? So that, you know, operationally, companies had to say, okay, do we have another bank account that we can use? Right? Which, by the way- is not always easy when you've got maybe two or three operating entities, each with payroll, yeah. right? And you got to figure out how to fund payroll from different cash. It, it's complex. It can be complex. So, But then you had the debt requirements. Am I in noncompliance with my debt if I take some of my cash out of X bank, 
right? So that was another issue that came up kind of shortly after that. But it's really now, I think the, the, the emphasis of just having more than one, one bank that you have money in, that's kind of past us now. Um, I, I think right now where the questions are is, is it is challenging companies to really think about their cash use, cash source, and their forecast and make sure they've got a good cash management process in place. Two other things have happened, I think, because of this. One is an unanswered question. One is, is just an acceleration of something that's going on. At the beginning of this year, 23, lots of people are predicting a challenging year. Uncertainty in the market, rising interest rates, inflation, you know. Other than that, though, just other a regular, that, regular year. It's a regular year, right? So, you know, if you look at the, 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 um, the typical institutional investor, a venture capital fund, maybe even a PE fund, they were doing portfolio triage. At the beginning of the year, at beginning of 23, and you know what I mean by portfolio. They yes, were, I do. They were looking at the, the companies in their portfolio, and they were saying, okay, look, you're going to be a, you're a winner. You're fine. You're now you, need, yeah, over here. You, over here, you're going to need more cash, and we may not be not willing. Not so fast, Wilson. Remember the old right, joke? Yes, that, yeah. exactly. We may not be willing to write that check, right? So we got to figure something out. They were doing portfolio triage already. Um, Silicon Valley Bank accelerated portfolio triage. It yes, accelerated did. portfolio triage companies are now. Now, the other thing it did, and this is the thing that I'm, I'm thinking a lot about and spending a lot of time talking to people and thinking about, because, look, no matter which way you look at it, there's a handful of banks that had venture banks, right? You had SVB, you had Comerica Bank, you yeah. had Signature Bank and First Republic and, and a handful of others. And they play a really important role in the innovation, in funding the innovation ecosystem, right? Because, you know, entrepreneurs, they have to figure out how to grow this business and do it at a pace they can disrupt like they need to and find their market timing, their market window. So these banks played a really important role to banking, to lending to companies that otherwise don't have a balance sheet that a traditional bank would lend to. Yeah. So look, without that piece, entrepreneurs and those, that, off, that debt usually funded – uh, an extended runway for those companies to operate and to hit those milestones. But we're going to find out where those companies are going in the future. Yes. When we come back, it's Steve Balistrieri. Steve is the managing director of Morgan Franklin. Great conversation. I was almost I was almost sad to break into it, but the great news is there's more coming at you on what's working in Washington with our guest. More after this. We want to put out a huge thank you to our listeners who put us in touch with some of the best voices in Washington, D.C. and the region. We've been hearing from you through Twitter, LinkedIn, and other direct messaging. On What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how businesses in the region are keeping us competitive. We talk to the brains in the nonprofit world, restaurant domain, and next-gen tech. We love meeting smart people. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. Tracy Madigan, our producer, and I think that it's all about shining a spotlight on people who are really getting things done in the region. And thanks to all of those who stay in touch with us. We're back with What's Working in Washington. I'm Mark Walsh, your host here with producer Tracy Madigan. Excited to be joined once again by Steve Balistrieri. Steve is the managing director of Morgan Franklin Consulting right here in Washington, D.C. They have offices everywhere. When we broke... Steve and I were discussing about SVB and other banks and how their departure from the marketplace has really changed the way companies are being viewed by their investors, a la triage, a term mm-hmm. you use, Steve, and maybe what's going to happen, uh, uses of capital, sources of capital, behavior yep. of CEOs. So please, yeah. please proceed. Yeah. yeah. So look, it, SVB has, the, the crash of SVB has, has you know, created a landslide of other 
questions that are starting to be raised. And right, and, and I think that we had talked about kind of the, the the acceleration of portfolio triage. We had talked about you know kind of just operational changes that companies need to make, right? But I, I think the one question that really does remain a bit unanswered is is okay, what's next, right? Because if you look at the role of SVB and, and their lending, their ability to lend to companies that don't have balance sheets, that are losing money, those that are in portfolios of venture capital funds. Um, that they took warrants on, of course. Oh, that of was course part they of the did. business there's, model. Yeah. There's an equity piece to that, yep. right? Um, but when you look at, at, at losing, right, if that model changes, if there aren't other banks, and look, right now you've got SVB people being hired by Stiefel, by JPMC, right. by HSBC, right? So there are other mar- folks coming to the market, but what we don't know is how the regulators are going to view this. The regulators always had their eye on SVB. They understood the model, but it's like, you know what? It's not traditional, Yeah. right? So if that model changes at all, right, if there is any change in the, in the, in the ability for a bank like an SVB or in this case like a First Republic that's still around or yep. like a JPMC that's doing this, for them to, to lend to a company that is in a venture portfolio and do it not because of the economics of their balance sheet or income statement but because of a relationship with an investor yep. and be, that relationship banking, if that changes – that is going to fundamentally change how entrepreneurs think about fueling their business, right? Yeah. They're going to have two choices, in my view, right? My view, two choices to come from that. One, you can go raise more money if it's available. You can raise more money from institutional investors, angel investors, whoever, right? You can raise more money, which obviously is more dilution to an entrepreneur, right? They don't love that. Um, the second choice, if you don't have the capital to move at the pace you want to disrupt, then you move slower, Right? Yeah. And that doesn't sound like a good outcome, not for every company that's trying to disrupt, but just for our innovation economy overall, our competitiveness, because no other countries are moving slower. China's not moving slower, moving faster. Yeah. Right. So I don't love the answer on either of those cases. And well, look, I think it's still yet to be seen as to how this is going to play out. Uh, folks have talked about the private equity coming in and filling that kind of venture debt role that, you know, maybe it's uh, the banks if they continue to allow the model to continue. We'll see. We'll see where so, it goes. So, crystal ball. If mm. you say uh, allow the regulators allow, would that be an SEC decision in your opinion, or where would it come from? So it, it's it's going to be interesting, right? Um, the FDIC and somebody else is going. There issued a report about the failure of S, of Silicon Valley Bank and, and Signature Bank, and out of that, I think you're going to hear a lot about. Uh, I think you're going to see about the model. Look, at, at its core, SVB was a banking problem. It was not. A model problem. Yeah. Right. I and, agree. And I think what's going to. It was what, a, almost a PR problem with their announcement. Oh, my God. Well, so, so, yes, there were a series of dominoes that yeah. had to fall exactly right for all that to occur, and they did. Yep. Right. And, and so, you know, to your question, I'm not sure who's going to come. I, I think it's going to be the banking regulars, right? It's going, and, and the FDIC is going to be part of that. Got it. And I think Congress is going to, is going to have something to say about this, right? Shocking. So, um, yeah. yeah, shocking. Um, so we'll see. What I hope is that people recognize it for what it was, a failure at the banking level and not the model but, itself. But to your point about slowing innovation, I, I do think it's always important every now and then for us to say, wait a minute, yeah. some of these companies suck. Oh, yeah. And they were raising a ton of money and they made really bad stuff and they were yeah. very badly managed. So I, I think that you know, sort of Darwinism, if I'm saying that right, yeah. has to happen at a, a period of time every now and then. Right. I think SBB's demise... I think you said this earlier, accelerated a lot of those conclusions. But if we end up with a marketplace where everyone has to grow slowly and be profitable right away, I do agree with you. We're going to lose a lot of vitality and innovation. Yeah, right. I mean, those companies are disrupting operating models in every industry, in every vertical right now. And, And the pace of that 
right? Not only are we accustomed to it, but it drives innovation. It fuels yeah. jobs. It's going to be, there's going to be a big impact. So we're talking with Steve Balistrieri. Steve is the managing director of Morgan Franklin. Let's talk about, talk about innovation, something that you've been engaged with at a, a serious level for many, many years, and that's Mindshare. Yeah. I think many people listening to this show have probably heard of Mindshare. Some mm-hmm. may, have, may have gone through it. Tell us what Mindshare is, how it was started, and what it, yeah, what it yeah. is today. Yeah, yeah. Look, Mindshare is the thing that I do every year in and out that is the thing I love the most. Right, it is. Wow. A, it All is right. a way of giving back. Right, even market basketball. Well, doesn't count. I, look, hold on. We'll so, so, look, it, yeah. yes, there are there are degrees of that. But okay. yeah, um, look, Mindshare was started in 1997, right? And it was started by by three individuals that really were at the in the pulse of of the entrepreneurship economy in 1997. Yeah. Right. You think back to 1997. Yes, I do. And what was happening then? You were in the middle of that. Yes. Um, I'll start sobbing here in a minute exactly, if we well, have to go. Look, but here's what was happening. Companies were able to raise money. Entrepreneurs would have an idea, particularly if you had a dot-com yeah. or anything to do with software and personal computers that were all becoming omnipresent, right? And, you know, the internet, right? If you could do something on the internet, yeah. um, you know, there was a company called AOL that was really, it was doing so a lot. Heard. Yeah, yeah, so you've heard. Things went well. Um, but these entrepreneurs would raise money because they had that idea, that but they had no idea how to put together business plans, financial models. They, they didn't know that part of it, right? And you had a bunch of entrepreneurs in this market that were building these businesses and their head was in the business. They were fo- focused. And, and three, if I may, though, they didn't have MCI management to look to as, as models because ex- they were going to prison. Exactly. Well, so you need, you need a better you need, model. Well, so here's the thing, right? You had three, three great three folks that, that really were in the middle of this. Harry Glazer, an attorney. April yep. Young, who at that point was running the Imperial Bank. Yep. And Gene Rickers, who was a, a, the founder yeah. of FBR's venture fund, yep. right? And the three of them said, we need to put together – we need to put these CEOs, founders, in a room together – and, and build a cohort where they can learn from each other. Because, you know, Founder X is facing a challenge that Founder Y has already figured out. Yep, and right? vice versa. And yeah. that was Mindshare. You put them together, you create Mindshare. First class was 1997. Yep. Um, and each year it has grown. Uh, we are now, this is, we are in our 27th cohort. Mazel tov. Mike, thank you. And, um, and it's, it remains the same fundamental program, right? How it, many in a cohort typically? So, so we, we range anywhere between 45 and 60. Really? Yeah, so yeah. Large, yeah. So okay. right now the alumni group has almost 1,300 alumni Fantastic. across the world. So Mindshare at its core is a what I, we call a one-year mini-MBA, one-year training program. Primarily, first time, CEOs or founders, you must be the CEO or co-founder, right? You, you must have that title because we want, we want that group creating the Mindshare, right? Yeah. We put them together in a cohort, and we put them through nine classes, um, simple classes. There's a there's a happy hour, there's a buffet dinner, and there's a speaker that comes in. Okay. And all of the speakers are, you know, former former Mindshare, they're Mindshare alum, they're CEOs, people who have built businesses before. Sometimes there was investors. And the board participates, right? The board is made up of, you know, folks like me. I'm a consultant and accountant. We have, you know, great folks from Ernst & Young and Cooley Godward. We have Lockton Insurance. We have Avison Young Real Estate. We have the folks at REQ on PR. Love We've it. got investors, Updata, Revolution is in, uh, Todd Klein is on our board. Yep. GrowTech is on our board. So we've got great, knowledgeable folks. And we put them through this one-year program. They have to make five out of eight classes or five out of nine classes to graduate. And, um... And once they graduate, they're in the alumni community. And this group stays together, connected through a listserv. There is a website and a listserv, and the CEOs are going back and forth every day. And they're day. swapping stories, I'm sure, all oh, the time about God. what happened. So, absolutely. so the, first, the class itself is almost all war stories. Yeah. You know, this is my entrepreneurial journey. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there are folks that have 
you know, particular experiences. Joe Payne comes in every year and talks about, you know, being fired from Company X and, and building a great team. Um, we have, uh, you know, we, Ted Leonsis kicks us off every year with his entrepreneurial journey. Um, we have folks that come in and talk about investments, or maybe they're talking about marketing or, or sales, right? Yeah. But, but great experience, folks. And the class is completely engaged. These are all aspects of their business that they are, they're figuring out because they're first-time, first-time entrepreneurs. Yeah. And look, for a long time, Mindshare was like the alumni wanted to be the best-kept secret in D.C., right? Mindshare is only D.C. It's greater Washington. Well, that's what I was going to ask because, yeah. I, you know, we all know people that were in YPO, Young President's yeah, Organization, which, which, which serves a purpose. There's no question. I always thought of that as not being as focused on swapping – I shouldn't say swapping stories, but being helpful yeah. in the vicissitudes and the ups and downs, more like sort of a celebration of yeah. we're like kings on the planet. I always love Mindshare's – down and dirty sort of gritty approach to you need to know some stuff and here's some people that know it and vice versa. Yep. So it's give and take, which Absolutely. I thought was wonderful. Yeah. No, look, I mean, the class is expected to not only contribute and participate, but also to, to take in. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we are only in the greater Washington area. So we are, you know, Baltimore to Blacksburg, right? If you can get to, if you can get to Tyson's corner for a class, you can be in the class. Got it. And, um, and look, the board is, is, is very engaged. They're working with these companies and our job as the board is to give them our time. If they're in that class, they get our time for free. If they've got questions, we sit with them and, and help them through it. That's the commitment. Mindshare, uh, they wanted to be the best kept secret. Now the alumni community, which has got its own board, they're out there actively helping us recruit the next classes. Excellent. It's awesome. It is it is truly the best thing I do each year. This so year. listen, I, I I just, I mean, I think I'm speaking, the name of the show is What's Working in Washington. Mindshare is an example of what's working in Washington. So yeah. I just want to tell you, congratulations. Well, thank I think you. it's fabulous. Thank you. And and look, for me, as as the treasurer of the board and on that executive committee and, and, and the, the folks on that with me, like uh, April Young, Harry Glazer, Mike Lincoln, yeah. like what we talk about, right? We, we hit our 25th anniversary a couple of years ago. We want to be relevant in D.C. for the next 25 years, yeah. right? And what does it take to do that? We've got we've to really think about the types of people starting companies in the D.C. area. Are they in Mindshare? Are, they refle- are we reflective of the folks beginning companies here? Are we addressing the challenges they face now, which look different than the challenges they faced in 1997 or even 2007? So we want and to be 2017, relevant. now, and now exactly. we now know. Exactly. Steve Balistrieri. Steve is the Mor- Managing Director of Morgan Franklin Consulting and our guest here on What's Working in Washington. Steve, we ask every guest at the mm-hmm. end of the show, yeah. kind of a lightning round. Mm-hmm. If you ruled the world, what's one thing you would start that is not happening today or one thing you would stop that is happening today that you don't like or both? Yeah, yeah. So... um I'm, I've got two answers to this. Got it. Right? Um, uh, the first thing, I, I, and I'm uh, a big believer in this, I, I, I would start civility again in our government. Okay. I would start civility because we have lost civility. We have lost our way. We have lost the middle. We have lost compromise. Agreed. Like, I, I want Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan to sit in a room together, yeah. get drunk, and solve yeah. problems. Right? There you go. So I want civility back. But I got another answer. Okay. Because um, if I could start something as a... A lifelong Wisconsin fan and, and a Green Bay Packer fan, I would I would start Aaron Rodgers' demise as a New York Jet <laughs> with a losing season starting tomorrow, and I would start a Packer new new dynasty with whoever our next quarterback is going to be. The only professional sports franchise owned by the fans. Exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, yes. Green Bay Packers. Yes. Steve, thanks for being with us on the show Mark, today. It was thanks great. for having me. It was great to be here. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by the Sunbathers.
You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.